If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. Welcome to the Peter King Podcast. Man, we are all over the map with the podcast this week. I'm recording sort of a new open to the podcast as we sit here late uh, Tuesday afternoon. Uh, you will listen to this hopefully on Wednesday morning, January 26. And I'm recording a new open for it because of what we learned today with Sean Payton being out as the coach of the New Orleans Saints. So let me tell you what we've got on this podcast coming up. I'm gonna give you a good chunk about Sean Payton and why I think this happened, where it leaves the Saints, where it leaves Payton. Then I'm going to get into the news of the week with the incredible weekend we just saw in the National Football League with the divisional playoffs. We will preview the conference championship games with my buddy Paul Burmeister with NBC Sports. Uh, we'll talk about all the other current events around the NFL. We'll talk overtime. Uh, we'll talk the coaches and GMs and the searches. But then we're going to get into Tom Brady a little bit. And I've got his podcaster, his podcast host, Jim Gray, will be on later in the podcast. And I'm going to ask him, hey, what do you think Brady's going to do? I don't know what he's going to do. I don't think anybody knows because quite honestly, as I think you'll hear from Jim Gray, I'm not sure Tom Brady knows right now either. So that's the lineup for this podcast. But let us just start off with the news about Peyton. Now, in no particular order, I think this is happening for three reasons. Number one, the New Orleans Saints are in for a major rebuild. And right now, you don't know if you have the quarterback on your team. Is Jameis Winston your guy? Is Taysom Hill your guy? Are you going to draft somebody? You've got major issues all over the roster. The cap is gigantically inflated. Uh, you've paid a bunch of guys, and now you still have to pay more guys. And, you know, there's also players coming back from injury. Michael Thomas, no matter whether he plays, whether you cut him, whatever, he is going to be a huge anchor on this salary cap. And so anybody who gets into doing this to start this rebuild with the New Orleans Saints, this is not a one-year project. 
You got to find a quarterback. You've got to get your cap right. You're going to have to make a bunch of decisions that are going to really tick off a lot of people who like the Saints because like the Patriots early this century, they tried everything they could to win a Super Bowl, you know, with Drew Bledsoe and with an aging roster. Belichick came in with his personnel guy, Scott Pioli. They basically said, okay, we're getting rid of a lot of these contracts and we're just going to sign a bunch of low cost free agents, hope for the best. The second year, you saw what happened. They won a Super Bowl because they got lucky with Brady in the sixth round. The Saints, I'm not saying they're going to be able to do it or that's how they'll do it. They have to be patient. That is the absolute number one thing uh, with the Saints right now. Um, so I don't think he had the stomach for that rebuild. I think there are two other factors. One is that I think he sees himself as wanting to take a year or two away and maybe recharge his batteries, come back, say, at age 60, 59 or 60, and then take one more shot with a team that's got a real good chance and a team that has a quarterback. Peyton realizes as much as anybody who has, you know, half a brain about football, he understands that what he needs to do to win is to have a quarterback. Second, uh, the, the other part of this is, I think what Sean Payton would have loved to do in an ideal world is he would have loved to go to another team that had a quarterback or a solution to the quarterback situation and leave the New Orleans Saints with like a first round draft pick parting gift. That's what I think he really, really wanted to do if he could have gone to a team now that had a good quarterback. But uh, I think, I, I don't know this, but I think a lot of people in football knew that, hey, if you want Sean Payton, come on in and make us an offer for him. And evidently nobody has done that. So I expect Payton to be on TV maybe for a year, unless there's a team out there right now that might blow everything up to try to go get him. with Jerry Jones? the Cowboys blow everything up, fire Mike McCarthy to go get Sean Payton. I don't think he will, but Jerry Jones, 78 years old. He doesn't have a lot of time running this team. So who knows? But that's sort of how I view Sean Payton. I think the Saints, the best option for the Saints is going to be to give the job to Dennis Allen. They love Dennis Allen internally. He's got a coaching staff full of guys who really, really like him. So that would be my expectation. So that's it for the Peyton part of the podcast. Now let's go in with my buddy, Paul Burmeister, and we're going to discuss the rest of the week that was in the NFL and the week going forward. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. For 25 years, nothing has tasted better after a hard day's work than a Mike's Hard Lemonade. It's because since day one, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. We use three kinds of lemons, all hand-picked from family farms. 
then blended to perfection and cold pressed to create the epic hard lemonade you know and love. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Paul, uh, did you have your defibrillator active at the end of the weekend on Sunday? And what did you uh, what did you think of the games? I felt the same way you did, Peter. And uh, I should have known that the weekend was going to align perfectly for me. I called a college basketball game in Rhode Island early Saturday afternoon. And that's a short drive for me. I was able to do that and be home for the kickoff of the first game. Uh, so it all started out in, in perfect way, just from a luck standpoint. And then as the games went on, Peter, it was as close as I felt to the early 80s, that, that playoff game at the Orange Bowl, the Chargers and the Dolphins, where I just felt like a kid again watching the games. And he, you know how these games go. I mean, we always have work that we're thinking about when we're watching even a super exciting high-stakes game. I felt like work got removed, and I was just a fan cheering, standing up, yelling at the TV, uh, it was just fun. It was fun in the same way watching great games was fun when I was 10 years old. So uh, I'll always remember it. And uh, a couple of days later, I already miss it. You know, Paul, I, I wanted to share just a quick story, a little bit of how the sausage is made, at least from my perspective. Every weekend in the playoffs, I try to pick a game that I think has a good chance to be the game of the weekend. Uh, and it's usually pretty much just a guess. But this weekend, I just, this past weekend, I just had a feel about the 49ers. I don't know what it is. I I think that there's something about the way that as as mentally tough a team as there is, and obviously physically tough, they do not match up well against Green Bay's offense. Uh, obviously, but they sure did on Saturday night. And I just, I just had a feeling that it was going to be a game full of drama. And quite honestly, I got to Lambeau Field. Obviously, it was ridiculously cold. And that first drive, I said, "Oh my God!" Where the Packers just, you know, went through the 49ers. I said, "This is, this is going to be a disaster. I'm in the wrong place <laughs> anywhere but this." And then, obviously, it was great. And after the game, I was able to spend some time masked, socially distant uh, with some of the 49ers. And what really occurred to me is I walked out of the Lambeau Field press box at about 1.45 a.m. Central Time on Saturday after doing some writing. I just said to myself, I mean, just be happy you picked the right game. You really picked the right game. And then on Sunday, you wake up to news that, hey, maybe this is Brady's last game. And then you wake up and you and then you watch the game and Brady almost brings him back from 27 to three. And it just that was 
a crazy game. And then obviously the Sunday, the game Sunday evening in Kansas City is one of the great games in NFL history. Uh, and so I just said, well, you know, you picked the wrong game, but, uh, it, you know, it was just a fabulous, fabulous weekend. And Paul, I'll just say one thing about what happens at the end of a game like Kansas City Buffalo. And in a moment, we are going to get to the whole overtime debate. But the one thing about our business that I'm not crazy about is that you watch a game like that, Kansas City 42, Buffalo 36. And the first thing you hear about is, oh, this coach blew that and that coach blew this. And what a dumb call this was. And look, I have a problem with Sean McDermott choosing to kick off with 14 seconds to go and to kick it into the end zone. I would much rather have had, uh, even if it was Tyreek Hill, honestly, I would much rather have had a regular kickoff or a high kickoff to maybe the 10-yard line so your cover guys can get down there and surround the, the returner. I'd much rather have that than I would have Patrick Mahomes having two throws with uh, three timeouts left. But that's the only real issue I have. My point about the end of that game is I just appreciate the greatness we saw. I cannot get angry about some coaching call or about somebody running too much or some. At some point, you just have to sit back and appreciate what we just saw. I think it's interesting, Peter, that each of the last two weeks in super dramatic games, the one in Dallas with that situation at the end where they chose to go with the quarterback draw with only 14 seconds left. And now Buffalo going with the full kickoff instead of a squib kick and taking time off the clock. How much situational awareness and like how much time these coaches must spend in the offseason with staffs talking about, okay, for the next four hours, we're running through this situation. What if we have 14 seconds left? What plays can we run with no timeouts? It's such a massive part of the game, and it was highlighted so much and amplified so much in big moments the last couple of weeks. Like everybody else, Peter, I, I read your article Monday, and it's funny you bring it up because I was wondering, I wonder how many times Peter had to pivot off of what his main point was going to be or what his theme was going to be after the second game or after the third game. So, like, when you, when you shut it down Sunday morning at 3 or 4 in the morning thinking that, that Niners-Packers game was your rock-solid lead. How many pivots or changes did you have to make on Sunday? Well, Paul, you know, you, you have to – I always try to put myself in the position of somebody clicking on the column at 5 or 6 in the morning or whenever they start doing it who's waking up and is just so excited about the games over the weekend – and I try to put myself in that person's shoes saying, I, I, I try to strike a balance between what they want to write about and what is my best stuff. And my best stuff far and away was the stuff that I found out after the game uh, in Green Bay with the 49ers, specifically how Kyle Shanahan decided to change his call when Brandon Ayuk was in motion on the the decisive play of the game. You know, you, you know the play I'm talking about. 
They're at yeah, the 38 yeah. yard line of Green Bay. Uh, it's third and seven, and they need to get enough yards to get in position to try to get a either a first down or to get close enough so that Robbie Gold can kick a field goal. And Shanahan told me very you know something very interesting that that uh, he thought when he originally had his play call for throwing the ball deep downfield to George Kittle. He thought that Kittle, because of the way that uh, the Packers were going to play defense, crowd the box because they figured, absolutely, they're going to run here. They're not going to throw the ball. They need to get a few yards to make it possible for Robbie Gold to kick the field goal. Because of that, he thought there was going to be some air in the secondary that even a wounded quarterback like Jimmy Garoppolo <clears throat> was going to be able to take advantage of. The fact that he didn't call the timeout until Brandon Ayuk was in motion from left to right across the formation, I thought was fairly fascinating because it just showed how his brain works and how close he came to allowing Jimmy Garoppolo to take that snap. Now, he told me later that I was going to do this. I basically decided that I was going to do this. But he wanted to see how the Packers were playing the play first. And then he called the timeout. So it, it was, I thought it was really, really dramatic and fun. And I knew that regardless of what happened in the other games, even if there was an incredible game, that that was still going to be what I would write the majority of my column about, have no regrets about it. And today in this world, the way it works, very hard to not be on site and to get a really good in-depth story on a game. And look, I, I managed to get Tyreek Hill on the phone for 10 minutes after that game and he told me some good stuff but it just wasn't going to be the same as being there and being able to get multiple people to talk about it. So that kind of dictated the day for me, Paul. Isn't it amazing with as adept as we all are, like this situation right now where we're talking virtually, when you can be there with somebody and standing next to them and interact with them, how much better uh, the, the stuff that you get is. It's just one more example of that. And that decision at the end made by Kyle Shanahan Another example of a super key moment related to seconds and the coach thinking or not thinking about how many seconds am I leaving on the clock? What will this allow this right. other team to do if I make this decision as opposed to that one? And it turned out in that case, you know, Kyle Shanahan certainly did the right thing. Paul, can I also tell you one other thing just about the way, at least the way I believe this business works and the way it should work? And it's sort of an odd way to look at it, quite honestly. But, but I always look at our business and I ask this question, okay? I ask the question, what can I tell people that they don't know? And when I listen to the press conferences after the 49ers game, no one knew until they read my story on Monday that Kyle Shanahan was kind of, I don't want to say tormented, but really was betwixt and between about whether to keep that pass play called or whether to have that run called. And as he told me, honestly, 
you know, I, I interrupted him when he was explaining it because he didn't want to give the ball to Aaron Rodgers with 40 or 50 seconds left. And I said, you've seen that movie before. And he said, I've seen that before. And that's how Aaron Rodgers beat him yeah. earlier this year. Right. And so yeah. those are the kind of things that you really, at least when you're in my position, you're trying to tell people something they don't know. Uh, when I went to journalism school at Ohio University, I had a professor there named Roger Bennett who once told me, he said, Peter, your job is to, t is to uh, tell people things that they don't know and to take people where they can't go. And so in this particular case, you know, it's like after Kansas City beat San Francisco in the Super Bowl and back in the days when there was no COVID and I'm sitting there in Andy Reid's office after the game and I asked him to diagram, diagram uh, two jet chip wasp for me. And at first he said no. And I said to him, hey, Andy, listen, said NFL Films is going to have you diagram this anyway for, you know, whatever the, the America's Game episode is on, on this Super Bowl victory. I said, why don't we just do it right now? And so... He took out took out his red marker and and uh, drew it for me, and I ended up, you know, writing about it. It was you know five six hours later where everybody's reading it. But I feel I feel like my job is to really take people places where they can't go. Anyway, Paul, let's get into the crux of what has become a big story as we get into uh, you know the sort of netherworld of the days before the championship games. And I just want to ask you, open-ended question. Does the NFL have it right with overtime right now? Should they make a change? What do you think of the current overtime rules? I don't know if they have it right, Peter. I, I don't have as big a problem with it as a lot of people do. And, and like every fan, I've thought a lot about this since, since that game ended on Sunday night. And I feel cheated that I didn't get to see Josh Allen. I would have paid money out of my own pocket on Sunday night to say, or to see Josh Allen play some more, but you know what defense make a play. All their defense had to do was allow a field goal attempts or get the ball back. And we all get to see Josh Allen again. And who knows, maybe that team gets to win. I'm not as bothered by the rule as a lot of people. And one of the reasons I say that is, okay, what's better. It's not perfect now. But what would be a solution? And my mind went right, to, went right to what they do in college. And I think that is borderline disaster. And I remember this fall, Peter, I was in the booth at Notre Dame. And I always keep, a, I keep an eye on my, my alma mater, Iowa. And I keep an eye on where my friends are coaching. And one of my college teammates and roommates, Brett Bielma, is a head coach at Illinois. And that was the weekend they were at Penn State. It was a tight game. They went to overtime. And it went to nine overtimes. And it just kind of turned into a farce. And I was happy for them that they won. But as excited as you are that you get to see extra football and you know both offenses are going to see the ball, after three or four or five overtimes, I was kind of like, okay, what this game was about and the integrity of this game is kind of gone now. And I don't know right. if the NFL would consider that. that but my point, my point is, okay, it's not awesome right now. It's not perfect but I don't think it's that bad to put it all on one side of the ball or the other to get it done. And like, my question is, and you know what the coaches may want to do, you know how the process works, what would be better? And do you think that the coaches in a competition committee meeting 
do you think they're going to agree on one solution that would be better? You ask a great question with, can you get to the point? Because this is what it's about. Everybody said, well, how can they change the rules? You have to agree on a rules change that 24 of the 32 teams would vote for. And right now, uh, I know because I remember having a conversation with the competition committee chair, Rich McKay, uh, a couple of years ago. There's tremendous division if you ever change over time on what really is smart to do. And I don't, I think it would be hard this year to find a solution. But I do think the only way you ever get to a point where people really want to do something about it is if you have a game like there was on Sunday. And and look, I've spent some time in the wake of the Kansas City Buffalo game uh, looking back at recent history. And of the last seven playoff games to go to overtime, the team that possessed the ball first won on the first possession. In other words, scored a touchdown on the first possession. And, you know, twice it's been New England in the Super Bowl over Atlanta when a gassed Atlanta defense had no chance to stop Brady. And then, in obviously, in the AFC Championship game three years ago, when uh, Brady took the ball the length of the field uh, to win on the first possession at Arrowhead. And I will never forget the next morning having breakfast with Michael McCambridge. Uh, or not, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm saying that wrong. Uh, I had breakfast with Michael McCambridge, but it was before the game. But after the game, talking to Michael McCambridge about this and just feeling like every Kansas City fan you know, he was at the game, had just been gut-punched because their hero never got a chance in overtime. Paul, I just think this. There's too much emphasis on a stupid thing, the flip of a coin, to determine what team goes on. I realize that it's 50-50. Rule is the same for both. I get it. But to me, a more equitable way of doing this is to say something like, and look, I am flexible on how to do it. I just want both teams to get a shot in overtime. I've been saying this. I, just, I was looking for videos last night or proof last night uh, as we record this on Tuesday morning. In 2014, when I was at Sports Illustrated, I found a video on the SI site that had me going off on how ridiculously unfair that both teams don't get to touch the ball in overtime. So I've been, I, this is not a this week thing. I've said it for a long time that both teams should get it. But Paul, if, it, if the competition committee would say something like, okay, both teams are going to get minimum one possession, I would be in favor of the second team. If the first team scores a touchdown and kicks the extra point, I would be in favor of the second team being mandated if it scores a touchdown to have to go for two um, on its conversion. Just anything to make it a little bit more fair than of the last seven overtime playoff games, five of the teams never had a chance to touch the ball in overtime. I don't think it's fair. I just don't like it. 
I think that's a really good idea. And I, I've kind of thought of that one as well as something that would, um, you know, make it a little better, but, but wouldn't make it uh, borderline ridiculous like it can get in college. Do you think that the coaches feel the same way that the fans do, that this has opened the door to something that needs to be fixed? Let's take advantage of it. Let's make it better. Strike while the iron is hot. Do you think coaches are feeling the same way? Yeah, I think coaches want this changed. Um, and because you just don't want your season to come down to a coin flip. And too often that has happened. You know, somebody asked me last night, a friend of mine texted me and said, well, what's really standing in the way of this changing? And I said, one of the things that's standing in the way is that the NFL Players Association does not want to make games longer. Why do you think the overtime period is 10 minutes? It's because, you know, the union uh, thinks that players are on the field for too many plays as it is now. So they don't want to legislate something. Everybody said, well, play it just a regular period. Play a fifth period. Play it to its completion. And that is going to be absolutely be a non-starter when they go to try to make a deal with the players over this. And so I think what you have to do if you're going to try to do something here, Paul, is you're going to have to do something that's palatable to the players and doesn't make for a much longer game. So we'll see what happens. You know, the key date, key dates for this is that um, before the NFL scouting combine starts, the NFL competition committee gets together uh, for at least a week to discuss all matters of all rules changes. So we're not going to see anything happen until after the Super Bowl. Uh, but I expect there to be an earnest discussion about this, and then we'll see what happens. Paul, let's move on a little bit to football. Um, I would, I'd like to take a moment to sort of preview the two championship games and to basically ask the question whether can the, can the teams that America would think of as underdogs, I mean, the Bengals are, are underdogs by three, and how crazy is it that the 49ers have beat the Rams, have beaten the Rams six times in a row, but the 49ers are dogs in this game. So I think both underdogs have have a shot now it's going to be very hard for Joe Burrow to win at Arrowhead especially given that uh, I don't know he's got a paper mache offensive line and there is a cost for not drafting Panay Sewell and you saw it on Saturday <laughs> in that in that game at uh you know when the when the Bengals uh, knocked off the Titans but give me your thought first about Burrow's chances uh, of going into Kansas City and what you think is important in that game. Let's stick with that rookie first-round theme. You, you mentioned the possibility of drafting Panay Sewell. They didn't, but they did bolster that receiving core. And let's just assume that both Mahomes and Burrow have, have really good games. They both throw for over 300 yards. Uh, it's an exciting watch, all that. So then, okay, what else could it come down to? For Joe Burrow, let's look at that tandem of Jamar Chase and T. Higgins. When they're really moving the ball, which they have been recently, you know, maybe not quite as much against Tennessee, but still that, that combination was really potent. 
had times when they were unstoppable, but they were really, really strong. If they can keep those two in the third down situations as effective as they've been, and they can combine for something in the 12 to 15 catch range and over a buck 50, I give them a real chance. And I also kind of spin that around and look at the, at the Chiefs, Peter, through the same lens. Teams that have beaten them, that have had success, it's not so much the Mahomes picks or his numbers aren't giant. They usually are pretty good. Look at the combination of Kelsey and Hill. Like over the weekend with that win, kind of a story before the fold, they were once again awesome. Huge production. You look yeah. at the win yeah. when the Bengals beat, uh, beat the Chiefs a couple weeks ago, they were really held under 100 yards in tandem. I think they had less than 10 yards per catch. So I'm watching the tandems. Which one of those two tandems comes through the most, especially on third down with the biggest numbers for his quarterback? And I think that's the team that's going to win. I'll tell you the thing that kind of interests me, okay? Um, I, I look at the first time Kansas City and Cincinnati played this year where, you know, Kansas City was just, it was a track meet in the first half. Uh, they had three touchdown drives over 70 yards. And in the second half of that game, Kansas City had three possessions. That's it, three. And they went punt, punt, field goal. And when I look at how the Bengals played that game and how they, how they really tried to play keep away, uh, with Mahomes. I think it's really interesting to see how the end of that game played out. Because, look, time of possession was just about equal. It's because Kansas City basically owned the first half of this game. But the thing that I really like from the Cincinnati perspective in this game is that, you know, you look at the second half, and, and I'll tell you, Joe Burrow, he's just not afraid of anything. He's not afraid of, of – he's he always thinks he's going to win the game, even when he's down by 11 at the half um, and things don't look good. I just think the Burrow advantage is big. And this game, to me, is not going to come down to, oh, the intergalactic Mahomes and, you know, his great offense and all that stuff. This game – because the Bengals will score. They'll score. This game to me is going to come down to one thing, the paper mache offensive line that Cincinnati has. It just, that's it. If they can do a better job against Kansas City, and and I will bet right now, Paul, that Zach Taylor uses some six-man fronts. Uh, If they can do a better job protecting Burrow, the Bengals, I think, have an not an excellent chance to win, but I think the Bengals definitely will be in this game for four quarters. I don't think it would be a huge surprise at all. I think it's a great point. And why not leave six in? We've even seen teams that are compromised on the offensive line, Peter, leave seven in with a real concentrated effort to block it up and, you know, get two or three guys out and they've got two or three great guys and keep in mind something else. If they do that, they have great range with their type of pass catchers. Get, get a tight end out, one of those receivers or a couple. Joe Mixon, if you get him out, they have excellent balance with the kind of ways they can hurt you. So you say six-man protection, I wouldn't mind seeing that a lot or maybe even seven at times uh, to see if they can shore up that issue. 
Let's move to the other game. And, and I know this is going to sound weird and it sounds almost at least implausible, if not impossible. But this is the first time in NFL history, and part of this is because it was a 17-week season. This is the first time in NFL history that in the same month of that the championship games are played, each championship game would have been preceded by a regular season matchup in the same month. Because remember, the Bengals played yeah. Kansas City on January 2, and the 49ers played the Rams at SoFi, coincidentally, on January 9. And the amazing thing is there's so many interesting things about this weekend, but if you think about it, you know, Bengals, who are underdogs this weekend, won on January 2 against Kansas City. The 49ers, who are underdogs this weekend, won on January 9 at the Rams. And so you have both teams, they know how to play the favorites. And and if you look at the way the 49ers went, and look, Fred Warner after the game said, he said, this just this month is unbelievable. This, this tour we've been on, you know, we have to go to... Uh, uh, you, you know, we got to go to the Rams to even make the playoffs. We're down 17 nothing in that game. And we obviously come back and win there. And then you know, we get to the point where we got to go to Dallas. And we have a tough game there and we win there. And then we got to go to Green Bay. And he said, wherever we got to go for the championship game, he goes, you talk about being battle tested on the road. He said, well, look what we've done the last three weeks. And it's amazing in the span, really, Paul, of 14 days, Sunday to Sunday to Saturday, SoFi, Dallas, Green Bay. Then in the span of 14 days, the 49ers won three games that were all sudden death to their season. So I, you hear this expression, teams are playing with house money. I don't, I, I don't know what that means, really. You know, you don't think, hey, well, even if we lose today, we had a great year. You don't, people don't think that way. You know, it's just, it's not, that isn't the way players think, I don't think. I think the 49ers enter this thinking that, listen, we, we, we can win a low-scoring game against a really good quarterback. I mean, look what they've done two weeks in a row to Dak Prescott and to Aaron Rodgers. And... You know, I just think the 49ers defense is going to play really, really well. I think it'll be a game in the teens. I don't know. I guess I would pick the Rams, but, man, I think it's going to be really, really close. Yeah, 49ers defense, you say they're playing well. I mean, the last couple of weeks, I mean, a little detail there. I mean, when they beat Dallas, that was the number one scoring offense in the NFL. They held in the teens. The next week they go to Lambeau and one up the MVP playing quarterback. And now, I mean, Matthew Stafford. So the Rams, they weren't the best offense in the league this year, but they were one of the best. Matthew Stafford's not going to win the MVP. Uh, he's probably in the top three or four or five in that conversation. And I like that you mentioned that these are rematches of games that not only we saw during the season, but we've seen recently. I think that the one of the four teams, if you had to pick one team and said, 
all right, Peter, which one is playing at a level higher, maybe a couple level higher, uh, a couple levels higher than they did in that recent game? I think it's the Rams. It wasn't very long ago, but I think this yeah. offense and the defense as well, they've hit the gas. They've accelerated a couple levels beyond where they were during that game. Uh, so I, I think it's going to be the Rams a little more comfortably, even though I've got nothing but respect for the toughness and the grit the Niners have shown this last month. I just think there's a very small margin of error for how they've been winning. And I think they're catching a team that has the arrow going way up on both sides of the ball. Paul, three more quick topics before we get into Jim Gray. One is, I think it's really dangerous to discuss in a podcast that's going to live for a few days, the head coaching vacancies. But I'll make this one point because something could happen later today or tomorrow. I don't think so today, but it could. Um, the one interesting thing to me is we are 16 days after the end of the regular season. And I looked it up in the last nine years, 61 of the 63 head coaching vacancies had been filled by this day, the day that we're recording this January 25 of that year. And this year, all eight NFL coaching vacancies, and who knows, with the with how tough it looks in New Orleans right now, not positive that, that Sean Payton will be back. You know, there could be a ninth. I think it's so interesting to note that teams are taking their time. There is no superstar coach out there that everybody has to have. And look, I, 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 I will, I'll say this. It's been, it's been 16 days since the end of the regular season when everybody said, oh my God, Brian Flores will have his pick of jobs. He'll be able to get any job. He's still out there. It's been now eight days since the end, or nine days since Dallas bowed out. Everybody said, oh, Dan Quinn, what a job he did with that defense. Former head coach, learned a lot. Dan Quinn's going to get a job. He hasn't gotten a job. So I think that, that it's smart for teams to take their time. I'm glad they're taking their time. And I don't have a great idea about these various jobs other than to say, I think as I surveyed the landscape over the weekend, Paul, there are going to be more offensive coaches hired this postseason than defense or special teams. Because I just think in places like the Giants, they want to save Daniel Jones. They want to give him every shot to win this job. In Denver, for instance, they want to find somebody who can coach the quarterback uh, and, and coach him very well. That's why I think you're hearing a lot about Nathaniel Hackett, um, the Green Bay offensive coordinator. So we'll see what happens, but that's kind of how I see it. Before we get out of there, I want to get your view on the futures of Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. Paul, from your watching the situations and maybe from listening to what Rodgers and Brady both said after they unexpectedly each bowed out of the playoffs on divisional weekend, what do you think of those guys? And let's start with Aaron Rodgers. What do you think of his future? Yeah, these are fun conversations because there's, I mean, there's really no right or wrong. We're all just going off of hunches and feelings and nonverbals and interpretations. 
I think Aaron Rodgers is coming back. Uh, obviously, it's a complex situation. He's a complex individual. There are a lot of things to consider. But in his late 30s, I mean, say what you will about Aaron Rodgers. I think he's incredibly smart. And I think eventually this grass is greener somewhere else. I, I, I don't think he'll find that. For as many challenges as he has felt in Green Bay and for as many issues as they have financially with the cap, I think he I think he will understand that he has a wonderful thing with his head coach, uh, Matt LaFleur. I think he's got a wonderful thing with Devontae Adams. And I just think he will find more positives to staying than leaving. And I also am connecting the dots a little bit to remember after they beat San Francisco, that that incredible, impossible comeback early in the season, Peter. In his interview, yes, he said yeah. It's hard not to be romantic about football, and it and it's. I think it's more romantic to stay at Lambeau, to stay where you've always been, chase a couple more there, than try and go somewhere else. So uh, it may take a while to get there, but I, I think he comes down on the side of, of sticking it out in Green Bay and seeing what he can do there. I think Aaron Rodgers will play again, will not retire. That's my gut feeling, Paul. I wish I had a gut feeling beyond that. I do not have a great feel at all for whether he's going to play there or whether he's going to play somewhere else. I just don't think Rogers has done a very good job. He said at the beginning of the year, he told me in August, I won't be giving you any clues this year. And he hasn't, in my opinion. He's talked about how, oh, it's romantic. He loves Green Bay. He's kissed and made up with Brian Gutekunst, the GM. I get that. I get it. But... But also, the most telling thing he said Saturday night, I don't want to be part of a rebuild. And look, if they do either franchise Devontae Adams or sign him, yes, that's something in the plus column about staying. But if he doesn't read, if if Aaron Rodgers does not redo his contract in Green Bay, they are going to take some significant hits to their team. Uh, in free agency and just team guys who are going to be salary cap casualties. So I, I think it's it's almost a deal with the devil because I think part of Rogers says, man, it'd be great to be unrestricted free agent in 23, which he would be, you know, after the 22 season. But does he want to go through a season this year, his last year in Green Bay, eating up a lot of the cap and then knowing that because he and Devontae Adams will take a lot of the salary cap if they franchise Adams, that's going to, that's going to denude the roster, so to speak. But let's, let's talk about Tom Brady. I I sense that he's at the end of a long season. He doesn't want to commit, but that he's having serious thoughts about not playing uh, but what what do you hear and what do you see in what you uh, heard from Brady over the weekend? I saw a guy and listened to a guy that it felt to me like there's a better chance that he's done, Peter, than he's coming back. And I mean, part of the benefit of you know watching somebody so closely for over two decades, we kind of know his nonverbals. We know how he has reacted when things aren't going well, when they are going well. Uh, we know what he says or how he says things in the in the post-game press conference. From everything I saw and everything that I listened to, it, it, it was just, it was a level different. Uh, I, I felt like I was watching a guy who was playing his last game if they didn't win. And I've been on the field at Super Bowls that he lost. I've been on the field when, when he brought teams back. 
And it was a different kind of energy that we saw on Sunday. May not mean anything. May just mean he's tired and he can't wait to come back. And in two weeks, he's going to announce that. My read, it, it's a guy who feels like he's at the end. He's going to take some time to really consider that. But I think the end call there is that Tom Brady's going to hang it up. Well, Paul, it'll be interesting to hear from Jim Gray, uh, who did a podcast, who does a podcast with Brady and Larry Fitzgerald every week and talked at length with Brady about that. You're going to hear from Jim Gray about that podcast and about his gut feeling about his friend Tom Brady and what will happen going forward. Paul, thanks so much for the the weekly dissection. Uh, We'll look forward to going over the championship games with you next week and having an early preview of the Super Bowl. Thanks so much. Thanks, Peter. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. For 25 years, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. I live by routines, especially my same-day delivery routine with Shipped. Because when Sunday rolls around, I'm not scared. I got my shopper on the way with all my favorites. Shipped. Delight in every delivery. Learn more at ship.com. So happy to be joined by Jim Gray. Uh, every week, he's got a terrific podcast, the SiriusXM podcast, Let's Go, with Tom Brady, Larry Fitzgerald, and Tim Gray. Uh, seems like we're always listening to the pod, Jim, to find out uh, Tom Brady's frame of mind. And of course, this week, we did it uh, again to listen to Brady. And the one thing in this podcast, which I listened to last night, there's two sentences that I think sum up everything about Tom Brady right now. And the two sentences are, it's not always what I want. It's what we want as a family. And I was telling some people that, you know, whatever it was, maybe 12 years ago when he originally said to me, I want to play till I'm 45 years old. It's easy to say that in a vacuum, (laughs) but it's not so easy to say it when life intercedes and you've had the sort of enormous football success he's had. Welcome to the podcast. Tell me your thoughts. Thank you for having me, Peter. Uh, appreciate appreciate it a lot. Um, 44 or 45. I mean, he'll be 45 in August. So I guess to a certain degree, no matter what he does, he will have played uh, until he was 45 because he wasn't eligible to play football. Uh, there's no games being played in August. Uh, uh, I'm not sure when the preseason starts, but I think it's just before uh, he would be in training camp. You know, it is an interesting line, but he's, he's always said, and we've done the show for, you know, a long time, uh, uh, more than, more than, a, I think it's a dozen years now. And um, he's always, I felt had two great loves and that's his family and football. And he loves what he does on the field. 
Uh, he's enthralled and he's enamored. We talked about it as recently as last week. There's something that fascinates him, Peter, about seeing the ball spiral and trying to throw a perfect pass. Uh, he equated it to uh, something that may be more common for people who are, uh, um, is that, we okay there? Or was that a technical glitch? Yeah, we're glitch. good. We're good. Okay. He, he equated it to something more common uh, for, for the rest of the public talking about a seven iron, uh, more people play golf than throw a football, um, particularly for recreation as they get older. He said, you, you can hit that perfect seven iron and you can just feel it. You hear it, you feel it. And you say, God, that's amazing. And then you try and do it again and you can't. And you wonder why you can't. Well, that's what it is with him with that football. Uh, he talked about a pass that he had thrown to Mike Evans. Uh, a few weeks ago. And he said, it, it was just perfect. He ran a perfect pattern. I threw the perfect spiral. It landed in a, the exact place. The other thing that he said several years ago, which, which cap, captures uh, my attention is, you know, and, and I think it may have even been uh, regarding Jimmy Garoppolo uh, in, in the Super Bowl. He said, you've got 22 guys out there and you miss a pass by a quarter of a yard of some guy who's running 60 yards down the field uh, with all this chaos going on. And people see that as failure and you're missed by a half. Year. I mean, it's, it's infinitesimal. The, the difference between being remembered forever and something that's great and something being an incompletion that everybody's mad at. And, and there's something about that that really drives him. And, and I still think he has that drive. He did on Sunday, uh, but whether or not the family love, and what they want him to do will be stronger. You know, he's just going to have to play it out over the next month or two or three. Jim, do you believe that Tom has made a decision and just simply wants to take his time to be sure that it's the right decision? Or do you believe he has not made his decision yet? I don't think he's made his decision. Uh, I think his calendar was marked for the Super Bowl. And the calendar got upended when they lost to the Rams. And, you know, there's a variety of reasons for that. Uh, the Rams were better on that day. Um, the Bucks had a ton of injuries uh, and just, you know, it's hard to repeat. So there's a lot of factors. But, uh, no, I don't think that Tom had it set in his mind uh, after the Rams game uh, or on the day that we did the podcast and uh, the radio show yesterday uh, that he's that he's retired and he's just he's just withholding that to make sure. No, I really don't think he knows. So for any of us to say that we know when he truly doesn't know, I mean, he'll, he'll, he'll probably start to formulate those opinions and those thoughts uh, here pretty quickly because he'll, he's going to want to work out again uh, if he's going to play. And so he'll take that time off. And then, you know, at whatever that point is, he's going to want to go get with his throwing coach and working with Alex and, you know, start staying in physical shape. That's probably you know, I don't know exactly what the schedule is, the end of March. Uh, so he'll he'll go about what he does with Giselle. Uh, I'm sure the family will get together and, and go and, and, and be together uh, like they normally are. Uh, perhaps go skiing, uh, perhaps, uh, you know, get away to wherever it is that they like to go, Costa Rica, um, or, uh, or just stay in Florida. Jim, I always wonder this about about Tom, that he obviously is doing a lot of things to stave off the normal aging process that people go through in their mid-40s. Uh, 
And, you know, he always says, I feel good uh, when somebody asks him about it. How do you think he really feels physically right now? Like a 44-year-old man. And he's being hit by guys half his age. I mean, he's taunting guys now, Peter. Go ask your dad about me. I played with him. I played against him. So, I mean, you know, that's, it's kept him young because, you know, he's playing with guys much closer to his son Jack's age than it is his age. But 17 games, you know, the addition of this extra game. And Tom, Tom has played in all the games. And Tom's played in all the games every year, except for when he was, uh, had the brief suspension. And, and, you know, then you go back to the knee injury uh, in 2008. So he's, he's played in all these games. So I added it up and everybody says he's been in the national football league for, um, 22 years. He's played, he's played in three plus seasons, four seasons, uh, of, of playoff football. Then you take into account guys didn't used to blow off the preseason. So there's preseason games. So we're actually talking about, if you add it up, Peter, a 51-year-old quarterback with legs. I did the same thing with Kobe Bryant between USA basketball and the playoffs and so forth. Kobe Bryant didn't quit after all those seasons. You know, he had, he had another eight seasons on his legs. So Tom has another six or seven seasons on his legs, on his throwing arm. So, I mean, it's really been remarkable. Um, what was what, What's his playoff record? 35 and 12? That's 47 games. Divide that by 16. Yeah, that's three full seasons, obviously. That's three full seasons right there. So there's 25 plus preseason. So um, he's probably on season 28 or 29. Who can do that? Who can Jim, do that? Nobody's Jim, done is, anything like is that. There, is there anything you think from knowing Tom as well as you do? Do you sense anything different in him this year at the end of the 21 season that then you sensed in any of the prior years when it's over? I think it's too soon to make that assessment. You know, this loss is really fresh and, you know, he's disappointed his season has come to an end for his teammates and he wants it more for them. He's disappointed for the organization and he's disappointed that he's not going to be able to go play football in a championship game. And, uh, you know, I'm sure he'll watch it. Remember him, him watching it a few years ago uh, after uh, the Broncos beat the Patriots uh, in that game at, the, at Mile High. Uh, I think it was called Invesco at the time. And uh, it was the one where Gronk, uh, he threw a Hail Mary to Gronk and it didn't connect. And Peyton went on and won Super Bowl 50. And that just kind of gnawed at him, not because Peyton won, but because he thought, boy, here was an opportunity. We could have been in that Super Bowl or we could have played the Panthers and Super Bowl 50 and all the hoopla. So I'm sure that's how he's probably going to feel, uh, you know, this weekend watching the 49ers where he grew up uh, playing against them and the Rams. And then I'm sure he'll have that same feeling in a couple of weeks when the game's in, San, uh, in, in SoFi. So I think it's too soon to say, is there a difference? Uh, I'm sure he's going to have that pang and, 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 and he's tortured by perfection. Tortured by perfection. There are very few athletes who are like that. You see when Tiger Woods plays golf, it looks like a joyous, joyless experience. Tom is not joyless. Tom has joy, but he is 
boy, is he tortured because he's thrown the perfect pass. He's had the perfect comeback. He's had the perfect game. He's won that Super Bowl in, in a fashion, you know, <clears throat> pick which one you want. And he wants to do that again and again and again and again. That's not out of his system. Whether or not he feels that he'll play again is a different story. But that portion of him, he's still driven. Jim Gray, the host of the SiriusXM podcast. Let's go with Tom Brady, Larry Fitzgerald, and Jim Gray. Thanks so much for joining me and uh, playing the same game that we'll all be playing, only with some inside knowledge over the next couple of months. WWTBD, what will Tom Brady do? Jim, thanks so much. (laughs) Peter, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. My thanks to Jim Gray, uh, the co-host of the podcast with Tom Brady and Larry Fitzgerald, and also uh, to Paul Burmeister, my friend at NBC, for his prescient and smart breakdowns of the National Football League every week right here. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast this week. I mean, it can't be a better weekend this weekend. Could it be? We'll see. Thanks a lot. Look forward to uh, next week's Peter King podcast when who knows what we'll be discussing. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. For 25 years, nothing has tasted better after a hard day's work than a Mike's Hard Lemonade. It's because since day one, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. We use three kinds of lemons, all handpicked from family farms, then blended to perfection in cold press to create the epic hard lemonade you know and love. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois.